welcome to the Simpleton Podcast. Uh, this is the official podcast of A Simple House. I am uh, Clark Massey in Kansas City, Missouri with Laura Heeman. And where are you coming from, Laura? Hi, it's Phil, Maryland. How is life in the Catholic utopia of Hyattsville, Maryland? <laughs> um, great. All right. <laughs> this podcast, we just have like a smattering of smaller thoughts that we want to go over that kind of don't warrant their own podcast. Um, we're going to talk and we're also trying to, by the way, in the future, we're trying to get a lot more interviews on our podcast. We've got five of them already um, setting up right now. So you'll get a lot more of that in the future. Um, we want to talk about the reforms that came from the sexual abuse crisis, how they're working in action. Got some ideas on that because of some stuff that happened recently. We want to talk about evangelization in the church and whether or not Jesus is evangelizing where the rest of us are neglecting to evangelize. We need to think about that differently. Um, want to talk about interviewees and agreeing with them or disagreeing with them. And we want to talk about the new role of lay people in the church and all these new lay ministries, Simple House being one of them, that have cropped up. And what's problematic about that? Uh, do you have anything to add, Laura? Um, no, that sounds great. Okay. All right. Well, let's start with an interesting story. So in my uh, parish, something happened that was like, Uh, like a reportable event, you know, it wasn't an event of sexual abuse, but it was like just a clear grooming event. And -hmm. it would be like, um, it was, it was kind of clear enough that it would be like somebody pulling up to the park in a paneled van, handing out free candy. You know what I mean? (laughs) Which is not illegal. Yes. That's the important part about it is like, (laughs) it's not illegal. And if you want to come up with like, and part of the reason why it's not illegal is you can come up with weird motivations for the behavior that aren't sexual predatory. But sexual mm-hmm. predators and being weird aren't also mutually exclusive categories, you know? Yeah. Um, you can be a very weird sexual predator. <laughs> so um, this, this grooming event happened, right? And most of us Catholics, if you've been through the church's training on all this stuff, you've, are, you've kind of been taught what grooming is, right? Mm-hmm. And you're being taught about it because hypothetically you're supposed to report it or bring it up or look out for it, right? So we saw it... Um, and I reported it to the parish. And that's when you where, say we, is it you and your wife or you and other actually, people? It was a simple house missionary who was kind of caught in the middle of it, who said that it kind of bothered her mm. what she saw. And when I got the story, I was like, oh, no, we're totally going to talk to mm-hmm. the priest about this and we're going to maybe take action on this, you know. So I then, you know, talked to the parish administrator and then the priest. And two things came out that um, kind of a. I don't want to say rub me the wrong way, but I think they were kind of the, they kind of misunderstand what the whole sex abuse process is about. So mm-hmm. we, because of, in our old um, podcasts, we did two things largely. We talked about the history of the problem, what the causes were, how it existed for so long, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about the reform that was supposed to like kind of counteract those reasons and causes and there always will be a sexual predator somewhere that needs found out. But like, here's the system in which we're going to mm-hmm. do right now. Mm-hmm. I think part of the interesting thing now to talk about is like, does the system actually work? Do we need mm-hmm. to tinker with it? Um, is it a system that you're supposed to hundred percent trust in, mm-hmm. you know, 
Or are mm-hmm. you supposed to like if you saw something bad, are you supposed to report it to the you know diocese ombudsman and not also report it to the police? Now that mm-hmm. can't be grooming because the police aren't going to like say guy is giving out free candy. The police aren't going to act on that. You know they might keep mm-hmm. an eye out. Not wrong to tell them, but it's not like totally a reportable event maybe. But um, so anyway, I reported this event and two things came out. One was that you know. They talked about how, you know, it's part of the job of the administrators of the parish to look out for creepiness, creepy behavior. You know, what at Simple House we call the spidey sense, like mm-hmm. look for the danger, be aware of the danger, you know, you know, just kind of like be in tune with the, your situation, you know. And the thing about the spidey sense is most people think they can identify creeps. Yeah. But creeps still get a lot of victims. <laughs> right, right, right. We're not as good at identifying creeps as we think, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And therefore, thinking that that's like the way you're going to guard against this problem is actually not part of the sexual abuse reform, right? No, right. But I think like looking for specific behaviors is different from this person gives me right. a weird feeling, right? Um, yeah. And I'm not against someone. You, I think people do need to use their spidey sense. That's why we yeah. talk about it at Symbol House. And we've yeah. noticed over the years that certain missionaries can identify a dangerous situation. And certain missionaries, no matter how much you try to train them, just never seem to clue in that it's dangerous, you know? And right. we, you know, we have to react accordingly. Like, we don't let the more naive ones go out into homeless camps in the middle of the woods unless they're accompanied by someone <laughs> who can like tell them it's time to leave, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was one thing. Like, I didn't like the idea that it was being presented to me that, you know, you have to like monitor it that way. Right. Like, yeah, I'm glad they're doing it, but that's actually not the system. That's not why I'm calling to report this. Right. Right. And the other thing was this idea that was presented where it was like, okay, I just want to make sure, thank you for doing this. We're going to do something. We're going to kick it up the chain in the proper channels, but I also just want to make sure we're on the same page, right? I also think that attitude of wanting everyone to be on the same page is what got us in the problem on the, in the first place. Like, I don't think we want yeah. people on the same page. Right. And what do right. I mean by that? I think saying, hey, I want to make sure we're on the same page is the same thing as saying, you agree with me how we're going to handle this, right? You know, or, or you can trust me to handle this, or I'll tell you if you need to do something, right? I actually don't think you want that. I think you want parents to, if they see something wrong, go confront it. You also want the priest to do it. You also want the parish administrator to do it. You also want to use the official chain. But the official chain and process is not a replacement for parents, like in this case, you know, a simple house missionary actually kind of prevented something from happening by interfering mm. with the uh, yeah. with the grooming, you know. And it's like, yes. And not only do you want to interfere with it, you actually want to maybe confront that guy. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I I think there's like an interesting thing about the wanting to make sure that you're on the same page is like um, people are uh, kind of afraid of scandal and causing unnecessary scandal and um maybe accusing someone of you know more than is happening but i i i do think like the you know you learn what grooming behavior is and that behavior is just inappropriate and you can report it because it's just inappropriate do you agree that you can report it of course but should you confront it 
Like if you're at the playground and the dude's in the panel van, right? Do you go over there and say, dude, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? I I think, I think you, yeah. Yeah. You run them off. And yeah, you're, you're, but I I think the 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 opposite is like, ooh, let's manage this situation because we don't want to overstep or right. something, you know. And I'm saying, <laughs> well, they're already overstepping, even if they didn't have even more nefarious, you know. And someone needs to let that person know, you know, right. <laughs> even if they're like an overly friendly person with just bad boundaries, with no, you know, it it you cannot let people well, act like that in your parish. Yeah, particularly yeah. not now. Or in your there, community or whatever. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. And you can't. Re- so I'm going to build off what you said because I think what you're saying mm-hmm. is right. But I also mm-hmm. want to just leave it at like, um, you do not uh, give up your own um, responsibility to act by just reporting. Yes. Right. Right. And you're also acting for the parents who. Uh, are more naive or don't see it or don't understand it, or maybe are the types of parents whose kids get victimized. Meaning like Mm -hmm. usually the stronger families aren't that worried about like the grooming behavior because they know how to protect their kids. Their kids are maybe getting enough attention. But like when you go through these trainings, it's like they're trying to prey on kids who aren't getting enough attention, whose parents Mm -hmm. are overstretched, whose parents are thankful for any help they can get. Right. You're kind of confronting that guy for those people. You know, not yeah. even if you if you don't believe your own kids are in danger, you're kind of need to protect your community from that, you know? Yeah. But um, I, I but I, I don't think anyone should make the mistake of thinking their own kid is in danger, that's true. by the way. That's but, true. Right. but yeah, don't um, be overconfident yeah. in that. Yeah. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the other aspect of this is like the Catholic Church is not just for wonderful, healthy people who are living, you know, the yeah. perfect life of, you know, two cars and four children, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the Catholic church is also for weirdos. Um, yeah. it's also for mentally ill people. It's for, um, Jesus also loves creeps. Okay. Yeah. And um, like it for criminals in jail. <laughs> yeah. Criminals yeah. jail. It's, it's yeah. for all these people. Right. Yeah. So there's also this worry though, that when you like, you confront this person who could just be weird, mm-hmm. um, which I don't really believe, but it's possible. Um, yeah you are running someone out of the house of God. Yeah. And I think that's okay. And I think, I say, I think that's okay because I think people have to behave at a certain standard in the house of God. Yeah. But I also think that, um, God's working with people everywhere and he's working with people outside the church, inside the church, outside the mass, yeah. inside the mass. So I don't know that like, if this guy just can't behave in a way that is appropriate for the mass and for like the parish hall or whatever, that he should necessarily be in the parish hall, you know? Yeah. The same way, like some criminals can't be in society maybe, you know? Yeah. Um, but does that mean that God won't, you can't love them or God won't minister them? No. You know? Yeah. So I I don't want to have like an exaggerated fear that we don't want to confront anyone because we don't want to lose like one parishioner who doesn't know how to behave. Yeah. You're making me think of this like common problem in young adult circles. Like uh, (laughs) there's like people that for some reason can't make friends um, come to the young adult activity. And some, some people that have a hard time making friends go to the young adult thing and like thrive and it's great. Right. But then there's like some people that like ruin the whole young adult activity and they stay in the group, you know, 
forever yeah. <laughs> because nobody's going to say anything. Um, and it's like wrong. They've ruined the young adult ministry. Uh, like you went to the most accepting place and yeah. they'll even accept like bad behavior. It's like, yeah, but then it's like, is it that these people are really accepting or they're just not willing to kind of drop proper boundaries? <laughs> right. It, um, it's it's kind of a, it's yeah. kind of a conflicting thing. Cause I think there, you have to balance that, you know, yeah. like I said, the Catholic church is also for weirdos, you know, yeah. but like, I remember there was a high up in the, uh, the Washington archdiocese and he said, you know how sometimes, <laughs> you know, how sometimes you show up to young adult events and it looks like the man land of misfit toys. <laughs> and like, it's like, yes, and it's awesome. Like, yeah. like, it's like, it's like, yeah. yes. And we want to love all these misfit toys and it's great. And yeah. they, they, you know, this is where they find a home. That's what Jesus yeah. is, you know? But then there's also the thing where it's like the 40 year old guy or the, you know, who is creeping out the 25 year old girls Yeah, and it's just not okay. You know? Yeah. So right, you somehow right, have to balance exactly. between allowing the, you know, the scene to happen and keeping out stuff that's messing up the scene for everybody else, you know? Yeah. But I guess there's some discernment because sometimes the land of misfit toys can become a very happy place. Right. But it's like the creep who's behaving badly is not an acceptable misfit. Toy. Right. <laughs> you know, right. I don't know. This, yeah, this but a... I want to, I want to go back though. Cause I think the kind of important point of what you're saying is the like managing how it's going to, be dealt with right and like the idea of like okay we're gonna sort of take this careful approach and don't worry i'm in charge of it now is like the old way yes and we don't want to allow the old way to persist because the old way was bad right yeah i don't know I, that's the main point. Are you just capstoning it or do you got point. something yeah, else to say I, on that? I am, I, but I don't know. Do you want to say anything else about this? Cause I think, I think there's something almost like instinctual, like when you are kind of faced with something ugly to be like, okay, okay. All right. I've done the right thing. Like you're in charge. Okay. I'm handing it off. And, and no, like you confront the guy, you let the priest confront the guy. If the priest isn't doing it adequately, you, you know, called the diocese or both or whatever. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, and, and when, when someone says like, I just want to make sure we're on the same page or whatever, I'm not really faulting this guy for doing that, but yeah, it, it is like a, it is like a very attractive kind of, a, uh, it's a little bit manipulative. It's kind of like, Oh, you know, cause we all need to work together here and let's all agree. And, and it's like, no, we don't have to all agree and no. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, we're working together at some level. Cause I'm telling you what the problem mm-hmm. is. But if I right. see this happen, I'm going to correct it. And do you have yeah. to like the way I correct it? No. Right. You know, right. that's like not your job to be in charge yeah. of that. And yeah. I, I'm like, you have to give people obedience in their proper sphere. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so if, if the priest says we're going to sing this song I hate during mass, we're going to sing the song I hate during mass. <laughs> right. That's right. his proper sphere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If the priest says, hey, we're going <laughs> to deal with this guy who's grooming kids in the church this way. Not your proper sphere. You deal with yeah. it and I'll deal with it. And every, yeah. hopefully everybody else will deal with it and we'll be cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, except I'm not cool with him not dealing with it. He has to deal right. with it. And that's what yeah. we've learned. Or else I'm yeah. going to have problems with the priest yeah. too. But and, yeah. And to put it simply, like, you know, we learned that merely asking the priests and the structures to deal with these issues doesn't work. We learned it the yeah. hard way. We know it doesn't work. So this yeah. new system, I hope it works. We don't, there was nothing in this new system of how to deal with it that said, hey, this is a 100% great system that's going to work. 
It was like, no, yeah. this is way better than not having a system. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, but the new <clears throat> system is like dependent on a lot of personal responsibility. And I think that's like in the training, that's like really hammered. Like if you see this, you need to do something. You need to stop it. You're, you know, <laughs> um, at this event, you're a mandatory reporter or whatever. And I, I think that's, that's good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's, um, I think we, we Move did on. that. All right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Next concept. All right. So I get trapped in this kind of like two way of thinking about evangelization and it's mm -hmm. like movements in the church and, um, one movement in the church, which we already talked about three podcast series, traditionalism, it's a little project in the church, right? For good mm -hmm. and for, for often for good, sometimes for bad, whatever. But there's mm -hmm. also this project that I feel like Laura, you and I are fully part of. I feel like Bishop Barron's on this project. It's kind of like what I think of as the JP2 generation. Mm -hmm. And the JP2 generation was a term used um, like 20 years ago. And it had something to do with like, there's this kind of joyful group of people who kind of are discovering theology, discovering the church. And um, I think that's all good. I, I'm still like hopelessly part of that, you know, movement in a sense, you know, even to the point yeah. I see its limitations, I'm still like in the wool. I'm dyed in We're the wool in JP2 it. generation. Can't get out of it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but there's something about it that was like very naive that was like, um, I felt like we felt like that when people didn't were talked bad about the church, they just don't understand, you know? Yeah. They haven't seen the beauty or right. Yeah. And yeah. like, so like if the New York times is writing a, you know, kind of a hit piece, it's like, it's just so if only I could talk to that guy for 30 minutes, you feel, you feel bad for the guy, right? <laughs> you feel bad for the guy, right? You don't yeah. think that there's actually someone attacking your mother, the church, you know, and you actually don't really believe. And you, it's kind of also like, um, I feel like right now society's kind of waking up that not everyone who says they want to go help the poor actually loves the poor. Mm -hmm. Right. Like there's yeah. other motivations for wanting to do that. Like I've met many person who does homeless outreach who is abusing homeless people, you know, yeah. not just like, yeah. like, I mean, literally like sexually abusing them, you know, ha drugging with them, yeah. whatever. Right. But I've also met, um, uh, but there's also people who like more hate the rich and love the poor but they say the reason why they're acting is because they love the poor but they're yeah. more motivated by hatred of the rich you know mm -hmm. so there's all these like kind of like i think wicked is the right word you know motivations mm -hmm. for doing something that looks good and assuming that everyone has got great motivations is naive yeah and i like i think yeah people are waking up to that like in the in the 90s in a crisis you would have happily given to any world aid organization you know and now people are like mm, you know can someone recommend a good one you know right and yeah i like i'm a bishop baron fan i always need to say that but like he had a interview with um jordan peterson that was interesting and he's mm -hmm. a great evangelist to jordan peterson but at one point they talked about kind of the theological idea about whether or not evil actually exists not not evil actually exists but whether or not people actually are trying to do evil or mm -hmm. they just have misplaced good. And there's this like well-structured theological argument that actually it's just a misplaced good, not yeah. that they're trying to be evil. Right. Yeah. And when Jordan, when Bishop Barron said that, which is kind of a JP two type take, yeah. uh, generation type take, uh, Jordan Barron's like, like, Oh no, 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 no. There are people who want to do evil, you yeah. know? Cause he's like yeah. spending his time as a professional reading like school shooters diaries 
You know what I mean? Right. Who right. are like, I'm going to burn the, this whole place down and then kill myself, you know? Yeah. Um, this and, is like a pre-Christian idea, though. Like the philosophers argued about this and it's like a classic Augustine okay. uh, Aquinas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My point is, it's I believe it's kind of sophistry. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that is like, okay, yes, the way you've defined these terms, your argument holds together, your theological proof is sound, but Jordan Peterson is more base. Base is the yeah. new vocab word for you uh, <laughs> boomers, even though we're not really boomers, we're Gen X, but like yeah. you get called a boomer by the young generation these days. Yeah. I'm not even Gen X. Yeah. <laughs> base means based in reality, right? Like you are going to understand reality better if you, uh, you know, take Jordan Peterson's take of like, no, yeah, <laughs> there are people actually out there to burn the whole thing down. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that's a blind spot in this kind of JP two generation attitude. Mm -hmm. So given those two camps, I think there's this third camp. I've now officially met five people from this camp. Okay. Wait, hold on. What are, so what are the two camps? I called one just kind of the traditionalist project or they're like, oh, yeah. that's the way they f feel like they're going to build the church, better the church, the JP two project, kind of yeah. the Bishop okay. Barron, you and I are part of this, but then there's this other thing. And this other thing isn't really a camp. I think it's where Jesus is working. Jesus yeah. isn't necessarily in either of the two camps I described. I'm sure he's okay with some of the stuff we're doing, <laughs> but I think Jesus is out there saving nihilists. And I keep meeting mm. recovering nihilists. Um, mm -hmm. All five of them I've met are men. Uh, they've been through, in a sense, it feels like they looked nihilism straight in the face. Jesus threw them a life preserver. They grabbed it. And they have this very different view of church and reality that is like, I think, awesome. And like more, like they are more set to talk to the world right now than either of these two projects we just mentioned. Yeah. And I want to have some of them on our podcast, not even because I think they have it figured out, because I don't. You know, I just think that they're 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 closer to the vibe, the another vocab word for you boomers. Uh, <laughs> they're more they're more tuned in to where we need to be thinking about evangelization. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about your nihilists that you bring up. Did they, uh, grow up in, um, religious homes or sometimes? Yes. Like sometimes they're sometimes like yes. coming from like an evangelical background. Mm -hmm. They then kind of like reject evangelical for a variety of reasons, often intellectual. They, mm -hmm. they flirt with the nihilism and then they end up either in some high church Anglican or Orthodox or Catholic or, you know, like they end up like kind of like rediscovering. Like there's been such a wholesale rejection of tradition. And I know I'm talking yeah. about Catholic mass tradition. I'm talking about like marriage, you know, or parenting or basic gender roles. There's been such like a whole face rejection of this in kind of the popular intelligentsia idea that it's kind of ridiculous. Like people are discovering that that's ridiculous, you know, mm -hmm. and then they'll say I became trad meaning just I started thinking traditional values had something to them, mm -hmm. you know, um, not yeah. that they're religious at all. Right. But then they're kind of like coming to that. And then they're kind of like looking for more truth. And then they're fine. Then somehow Christ is saving them out of this problem. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I don't think we're giving them great voice. Yeah. 
but I want to, they're showing up to our book club at Simple House. Um, I hope these guys don't totally reject this label I put on them, but <laughs> I think they're like on the vibe and I want to learn more from them. Um, there's a podcast out of New York city that I can't recommend to anyone because it can be so offensive, but I think it's part of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think they, the podcast kind of enjoys triggering people, but, uh, <laughs> he's, um, it's called the beautiful toilet. And I want to have him on the, uh, podcast to talk to us a little bit about, or talk to me at least about nihilism and about like where he, how he kind of discovered Christ. I want to hear his story, you know? Yeah. Which dovetails into my next point. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Sure. So I'm hearing everyone say, it's not that I agree with everything they say. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure I agree with this quote, but isn't it interesting? And then they say whatever the per- they or whatever quote they want to say, right? Mm-hmm. Or you know, uh, it'd be like like let's say Tucker Carlson says something interesting, right? Well, no one really wants to be thought of as someone who loves <laughs> Tucker Carlson, <laughs> right? Yeah. But the dude does say some interesting stuff, you know, yeah. or Joe Rogan mm-hmm. or. Anybody, even your best friend, you know, it's like, I don't want to be identified with everything they say, but I think this is going to be the kick me sign of uh, 2020 to 2025, you know? Um, Yeah. Like when people go back and listen to old podcasts and they hear people say, I don't agree with everything they say. It'll be like, how could you agree with everything they say? That's impossible. Like, like what a stupid preface to any point. Well, I, I think it's a stupid preface, but it's like I it's like a reaction to like cancel culture, right? Because right. cancel culture, it's like if you're associated. So I, I think an interesting idea is as a way to find can't fight that culture is say like I find this person thought provoking and interesting, and I think he brings up some good points without qualifying that you agree or disagree with everything. It's it's like a it's a little leap. <laughs> it's kind of trippy though. It's kind of yeah, like, cause they yeah. don't know what to make of you then, you know? And, but it reminds yeah. me in the nineties that like, I feel like everyone was saying, I don't really, it's just my opinion. I kind of feel this way. And then they tell you what yeah. their opinion is. Right. And it's like, well, yeah. everything that comes out of their mouth is their opinion. You don't have to preface it with, it's just my opinion. I only feel this way. And that was kind of like, yeah. it's kind of okay if you're dealing with a super touchy subject in a family setting or something like that to like, try to like, yeah. Decrease attention by that. Yeah. But you had college professors doing this. You're like, yeah, like literal p- experts. Yeah, yeah. Literal <laughs> experts. And you'd be like, I'm paying you to tell me your opinion. And yeah. before you tell it to me, like five times during the college class, every class, you're giving this preface. And it's like, it's so stupid. It's like an assumed situation that doesn't need set. Yeah. Well, all right. So the point of this transition yep. was we're going to invite people on our podcast, including recovering nihilists. And I do not agree with everything they're going to say. Um, I don't think as a host, the right attitude is to contradict everything they say. Like you've kind of brought them on cause you want to hear them out. Mm-hmm. And also sometimes like as a host, you're actually not, you don't know what they're going to say and you're not intellectually mm-hmm. prepared to contradict what they say. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but like, I mean, if something egregious happens, I'll, we'll need to contradict something they say, but I don't, you know, it's like those things when you listen to the commentary on a movie and they say the opinions <laughs> voiced. 
Yeah. Are not the official positions of the Sony Picture Company, you know, or something yeah. like that, right? So <laughs> yeah. we, we there's a little bit of that going on with our podcast. And I want to have people on who are interesting, even if they do say wrong things. Yeah. Uh, all right. We're going to talk about selling the gospel, talk about making money. All right. Um, so something that if you've been around the Protestant Christian world, there's some fairly wealthy pastors, and I don't just mean like televangelists. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, if you can pack a big church and are very good at what you do, you can make a decent amount of money, and there's no scandal in that. You know, they yeah. just say, hey, you know, you're worth this much to this church. You get paid this much. Uh, Labor is worth this wages. That's kind of the way they justify it, right? And the Catholic Church has never supposed to have been about that. Not that we haven't had abuse and, you know, some high-flying princes of the church, right? But we're supposed to be more along the lines of the reason why this guy's celibate. He doesn't make much money. Mm-hmm. He's going to be at your parish for so many years, then we're going to transform him. For him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all these religious orders that take vows of poverty. Um, the idea behind that is that they're serving the Lord. That is their reward. They'll be taken care of, but they're not going to be also super wealthy or rewarded in this life in that way. Sure. Right. Can't serve two masters. You know, you have to can't serve God and man. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, As simple house. So now that lay ministries have been on the rise since Vatican two, there's some conflict of interest that have happened. Mm -hmm. And I think it's having a lot of effects that we're not, I haven't heard anyone talk about it. We're talking about it internally, but um, I think it needs a broader conversation. Um, for example, you'll see ministries that actually have people getting quite rich, you know, or uh, there's a case where, you know, kind of a Catholic author speaker uh, has a nonprofit that ends up buying all his books that then give away, you know? <laughs> so he's like making a mint from a nonprofit, you know? Yeah. Uh, indirectly, or, you know, you also see different groups and, and I can't, I'm actually not like ready to condemn any of this. I just think it's a real issue that needs thought about. So for example, say that a, um, say you came up with some new like internet, uh, anti-porn application, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's a worthy thing to do. I don't think there's any question of that. Uh, well, I mean, if, if the Franciscans came up with it and said, hey, we made this, you know, you might want to use it. We suggest you use it. Well, I'd know that they're not, you know, they shouldn't be making money off that. They're doing that for the good of the church, yeah. for, for to serve God, right? Maybe they took some donations to develop it, right? But if a, some lay people do it, you know, if they get permission to talk after mass promoting this thing, I mean, at what level are they promoting it because you know, that's what pays their mortgage. And at what level are they promoting it? Because they think that's what the church really needs right now. Yeah. Right. So with lay mission, there's a lot of mortgages getting paid. There's a lot of kids who got to go to college and that's not wrong, but it also creates a mixed motive. Yeah. A conflict of interest. Right. Well, I think we felt it at Simple House at different moments. And Mm -hmm. one of the goals I have is that I want people to be better off by leaving Simple House. Like, in the minimum, what yeah. our poverty is going to be is you could have made more money, done better by by leaving at any moment, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. whereas like what happens with some of these people is say you're a trained uh, preacher. Um, let's say you're in a 
lay ministry or you're in a Protestant church or something like that, right? If you lose your faith, if you have a steep struggle of your faith or depression or whatever, there's not a good way for you to bow out because that's your career. Yeah. You know, that's the way yeah. you're paying your mortgage, right? Right. Um, and therefore you can have these people who like literally have lost the way, but they won't admit they've lost the way. Right. Right. And they can kind of keep faking it in a way. Right. Whereas like a Catholic priest, if he like kind of loses the way, he'll be like, hell with this. You yeah. Know, I mean, this is, this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is not the most, well, I mean, or not. you start living a double life and you got to catch the guy, you know? And you're yeah. also seeing this in some of these lay ministries because it's been around long enough now that you're seeing them become intergenerational, that yeah. the founder is hiring his kid to either take over or to a attractive position within the ministry. And it's not clear. It's, they're treating it, it. It looks from the outside like it's being treated as a family business. Yeah. Now I'm not claiming that any particular one is because like, honestly, that kid might understand that business, that ministry better than anyone else. Cause they grew up in it. Right. You know? Yeah. So, so maybe it makes sense, but there's not any guard the, the, you're in a, when you're in ministry, you're in a trust. Even if your ministry is just a 501 C three, like simple house, it's a public trust. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. we're given this to serve the public as best we can and if we use self-service and self-dealing, we're violating the purpose of the ministry and the purpose of the trust. Yeah, I, I think I think it's especially egregious to um, in a ministry that serves the poor, right? Because you're like literally taking resources that <laughs> are meant to go to other people, right? Um, whereas, like with the a book ministry, for instance, it's not exactly that way, and for instance, something that's like a book ministry. Like I, I think like a lot of times in the church, we see people in ministry doing things that don't make sense. And it's not like it's foolish for the kingdom. It's like, it totally lacks any sort of coherent sense. And like a business person can come in and say like, these aren't good choices, you know? And they having that perspective is like really valuable in, um, and I think like a lot of ministries don't do it often enough. And now I think we have these like, ministries popping up that have like more business sense and um like with a book ministry you could say like well this kind of business sense is reaching a wider audience and i don't know that complicates it i i think i think that's right i want to say you know i have a friend who's he's protestant we're good friends and we were talking about doing some form of ministry i can't remember what it was mm. and his take was i will not do this unless it pays for itself Mm. You know, and my, my thought was, oh, we're going to do this as a donation, you know? Mm -hmm. And the reason, the, the kind of the cool thing about his perspective is if it pays for itself, it could become like international. It could, it could just grow mm -hmm. and grow and grow and grow and grow because it'll keep like sustaining mm -hmm. itself as it grows. Right. Whereas if it's just a donation, which is what I think is, I think that's a more normal Christian attitude yeah. um, then, but it, it's just kind of done when the donation runs out. Yeah. You know, like if we sacrifice our time for it, it's just done when we can't afford to sacrifice our time anymore. Um, whereas like if you're getting paid for it, you just keep doing more and more and more of it, <laughs> the more successful it is. Right. So, yeah. I mean, and there's, but like in the, also like sort of in the world, the way you figure out if something has market value, you know, is like, is it doing well in the market, you know? <laughs> right. And um, so how do we, 
I, I think there's something useful and also something dangerous in applying that to like a charity, right? So, all right. So what are we saying? We're saying that there's some free market capitalism happening in these lay ministries, right? Mm -hmm. For the good and for the bad. For the good, yeah. because it creates efficiency. Like nonprofits are notoriously inefficient. We're like right. second only to the government. And sometimes we're, <laughs> we beat the government at inefficiency. But, you know, uh, so it's good that that's happening. It's also good because mm -hmm. it scales. Um, it's also good because it kind of demonstrated its value in some way, possibly. I have an objection to that, but I won't make it right now. Mm -hmm. um, and then the way it's bad is it, um, it invites a form. It, you're kind of end up selling the gospel. Right. And you're selling spirituality. And there that's what um what's the ancient word for that? Sacrilege, right? Or no, that's not the right no, word. No, um Oh my gosh. All right, all the listeners know the word I'm thinking of. <laughs> it has to do with selling. Put it in the, the comments. Yeah, yeah, put it in the comments. All right. <laughs> um so there's something like disturbing about that. It also makes you keep doing it beyond when you actually think you're serving the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I've also seen this thing where like seminaries, like certain seminaries have a lot of lay uh, professors. You know, it's really hard to get a theology job. We are yeah. way overproducing theology PhDs compared to employment for theology PhDs. Right. So seminary jobs are one of the places to get employed. But historically, seminary jobs were held by priests, mm -hmm. religious or diocesan or whatever. And frankly, those priests didn't have to be that protective of their job because they just got reassigned to some other thing that was part of their vocation. Whereas like if you're a lay yeah. theology professor and your seminary closes, you are Who's feeding your kids. Yeah. You're screwed. You know, yeah. <laughs> like you're put it, there's no more polite way to put it. You're screwed. So there's kind of something like there's these whisper campaigns that happen sometimes where it's like, I would say that certain seminaries kind of like start talking bad about others and start trying to recruit uh, vocation directors to send their guys there. And I think it has to do with, you know, those lay people there are really trying to sell their school, you know, because they mm. need that school, you know. Mm. Um, and I don't know that this serves the seminarians. Mm. And we're, we're in a we're still in a world of contracting seminaries. We're going to still lose a few more seminaries before this is all over. Um, and they're fighting to make sure they're not it. And I don't know that that's I don't know that the the, the incentives that the layman has when they're in that setting is God's will. Yeah, I, I, there was a recent discussion about this with friends and, uh, but yeah, like, I, I don't think, I, I think it's like, right, possible that, <laughs> um, there are people being called laymen being called to teach theology, right, at a seminary. But yeah, the, recognizing it's not, that it's, it, there, there's a, a danger there. It's not what? It's not only possible they're being called, it's yeah, absolutely it's, necessary. Like, yeah, we yeah. can't staff these seminaries with all priests when we're having a huge downturn in the number of priests. Mm -hmm. So, and also some of these lay uh, ministries, I mean, I hope simple houses in this category have been great for the church. Yeah. You know, there's just inarguable yeah. that that's true, but it's also creating this new conflict of interest that the Catholic world has never dealt with. And I don't think we want to solve this problem the same way the Protestant world did. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. the other thing that's going on here is, um, I think this is the broader point of this guy, Rene Girard. If you haven't heard of Rene Girard, he's, you can go look him up, but it's very difficult to understand, but it has something to do with, um, 
blaming people and organizing people against something is easier than taking blame and like organizing people for something. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like if you show up at the Republican or Democratic National Convention and you give a speech trashing the other side, you'll get a far more powerful reaction from the audience than if you actually lay out in a positive agenda. And I don't I don't know why, but it's some it's just it's fact. Right. You even notice that with our Simpleton podcast. Uh, (laughs) Right. Yeah. The titles we put on our Simpleton podcast, if you're on YouTube and stuff, are edgier than Laura and I are in the podcast. And it's clickbait, you know. It's it's a di- little dynamic there, right? That you're trying to get people to say, oh, oh, am I wrong about this? Let me click on this or hold it. I I don't like those people. I'll click on this, you know. Yeah, um, but you can you can um, organize people around a scapegoat. That's and it's exactly. like and we have always done it. Right, and Christ is the anti scapegoat. Like part of Rene Girard's yeah. thesis is Christianity is that which does not do that fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the thing here though. Is like if you're a lay ministry, right? And you start producing a spirituality that scapegoats or is negative or is helps people just feel holier or is sensational in some way, that sells better. Yeah. Is that what people need? I'd argue no. But mm-hmm. um but if you're actually trying to maximize the bottom line, that's the direction you go. Reconciliation does not sell as well. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that line, I feel like there's a million cans of worms I could open. <laughs> but yeah, uh, organizing people um, in a cause against something, um, it, it's easy. It's easy to do. It's easy to get people upset or anxious or worried or tap into those fears. Um, mm-hmm. And what people do is... Like, here's an example at Simple House, right? We have always been about trying to do the spiritual and corporal works of mercy. So if you could think about that as like evangelizing and handing out cash, right? Um, You know, one's like giving a material thing and one's evangelizing. Uh, It is easier to hand out the material things than to evangelize. And if we don't pay attention and we don't self-correct continually, we will end up just being a materialistic ministry. Period. Yeah. Right. So I think a lot of these ministries could start out where this person has this authentic call and this good complex message. But then, you know, after two years, you're like, you know what? What pays the bills is the negativity or what pays the bills is this extremism, you know, and you just start going that way. Yeah. And I, I think I've, I feel like I've seen this, like people become like um, maybe they weren't even trying to become the sort of negative figure, but they become like the central figure in people's rallying cries because they said a thing that made sense, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so what I dislike about like this, this podcast was supposed to be Lord, what Laura and Clark are thinking about. Uh, I don't have any conclusion on this. I, I want people to keep an eye on it. Like I yeah. want to say it out loud, but I feel like we need, we need people to start coming up with like ways to sort this out or counteract the negative, you know, like I think nepotism is probably one of the things that needs to just go away. Like if you run a great evangelization Institute, your kid can go work at someone else's great evangelization Institute. <laughs> they don't need to take over yours. It, it might, I don't know. It might happen, but <laughs> Like that, that's not the plan, right? That's not the family plan. 
Right. Yeah. So somehow there's a very natural human thing that your world is very influenced by what you interact with every day. Right. So mm -hmm. like, yeah. um, like if you're never around a fortune 500 company, you would never think to start one, you know, if yeah. you're all around mom and pops, but if you're never around mom and pops, you'd never think to start one. You right. Know? Right. And I noticed this particularly with the homeless that whenever we'd help the homeless, I'd be like, well, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to get a job? What do you want to do? He goes, what I really want to do is start a homeless ministry. And Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But they say that all the time. Like that's like yeah. universal. No, right. No, I, 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 as soon as you said that, I was like, can start naming right. all the people, you know. <laughs> and part of that is because they have a real heart for the homeless because they've been homeless. But part of yeah. that is they only interact with homeless ministries. Like they're yeah. not aware of like a woodworking shop or like they just aren't, don't meet those things, you know. So their world is small, right? So I think there's also this issue that like if you're raised in a house of, you know, evangelists, you are going to be way predisposed to be an evangelist just because that's the way you see people make it in the world. <laughs> you know, that is the family yeah. business. Yeah. That's a little bit of a dark, <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah. Well, and I guess the thing that shouldn't be dark is like a great lay missionary could have a kid who's a great lay missionary. Yeah. It seems to me not quite right when everything is self-referential or like when it's, I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess like I have uh, some friends that uh, the parents had a like really beautiful ministry and um, the parents, it kind of, apart from just time and stuff, I think maybe is a little bit physically demanding and the kids grew up in that ministry, thought it was beautiful. Um, and now, so now one uh, of the siblings and his wife are kind of taking over the ministry, but it's like at a great personal cost and he has another job. Like it's not his full-time job. Um, there you go. Yeah. And I, it's like a really beautiful thing that they are doing. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I yeah. was recently looking at a lay ministry that was kind of rubbing me the wrong way mm -hmm. because I think they were very in tune with branding and things like this. Yeah. And there's really nothing wrong with being in tune with branding, you know? Yeah. But when I realized the person actually had a real other job and this was completely a side gig, I was like, oh, okay. Wow. I like your ministry way better now. You know, Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not some big like take or you're not on the take with your ministry, I guess. Right? right. Like you're, you're independently financing yourself independent of this, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we've had conflict with branding, <laughs> like kind of have tried to resist, um, a little bit, you know, like we've had people on our board saying you need to be more branded. Essentially, you need to be blogging. You need to have a podcast you need, and, and, you know, there's been some, yeah, we started this <laughs> podcast as an effort to brand. Yes. No, I mean, but, <laughs> but well, I think the thing that's interesting about branding is like, it, can feel like, are you doing something to sell your ministry that feels like weird? Um, on the other hand, there's like, people want to hear you have lots of friends asking you for your ideas, you know, about different things because of your position at a simple house. I, I don't know what the takeaway that is. Like clearly we, there is branding as a reality. Clearly you need to do things to like, if you have a ministry, you have to fundraise. That's just a fact. You know what I mean? Shying yeah. away from it's not not right. So I don't know if we're saying anything deeper than that. Um, I think one thing that's kind of interesting, just as a personal bias, is like, I think the youth, uh, you know, if you're 20, 21 years old right now, there's a lot of people who view themselves as a brand. Yeah, Which absolutely. is kind of new, right? Yeah. And I feel like, go back 30 years, you'd call that being fake. 
Yeah. But now it's not it's, quite, that's not quite fair though, because, yeah. you know, is the 21 year old a brand? Well, that's a pretty heavy burden for a 21 year old to carry and they shouldn't think of themselves yeah. that way. But in another way is, is the image kind of part of your reality? Yes, that's also true. Like, mm-hmm. anyway, I, I think now I'm just talking in circles. I think we should get some 21 year olds on here figuring this stuff out. <laughs> not me, but, um, yeah. anyway, yeah, no, I just, yeah, I think the the core issue to me that was the most interesting is for the first time in the history of the Catholic Church, we're having significant lay ministries. Lay people have to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to figure out how you're going to deal with that as church, and it, there's mm-hmm. a conflict of interest there. There's yeah, a, that that is a more severe conflict of interest when than when everybody was either um, a um, was a religious or a diocesan celibate. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Thank right. <laughs> Great. Well, we got more interviews That's coming all. up and uh, please give us feedback. We need feedback on these podcasts. Uh, we got yep. our first piece of negative feedback. I want to thank whoever sent that to us. <laughs> anyway. All right. God bless. Talk to you later. All Laura. right. See you. Bye. Bye. Bye.